Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Love, from our Advent series. Good morning. What a great day to be in God's house. Amen. Amen. We've lit the final candle this morning, the Christ candle, the big white candle in the center. Hear the word of the Lord. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You've multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, like men when they rejoice over dividing the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forevermore. For the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Would you pray with me? O God, You make us glad by the yearly festival of the birth of Your only Son, Jesus Christ. Grant that we who joyfully receive Him as our Redeemer may with sure confidence behold Him when He comes to be our Judge who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Would you join me in an ancient prayer? It's the prayer written by St. Augustine over a thousand years ago. Would you join me in reading this prayer together? Let the just rejoice, for their justifier is born. Let the sick and infirm rejoice, For their Savior is born. Let the captives rejoice. For their Redeemer is born. Let slaves rejoice. For their Master is born. Let free men rejoice. For their Liberator is born. Let all Christians rejoice. For Jesus Christ is born. Could you give the Lord a great hand of praise? Amen. 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 This month witnessed the rolling out of a long-anticipated movie. It was the latest installment in the the Star Wars lineup, and it was called The Last Jedi. Many of you have already seen it, and some of you are anxiously waiting to go see it. If you have seen it, I haven't seen it yet, and if you spoil it for me, I will remove you as my friend on Facebook. (laughs) Just saying. Amen. It's an amazing story, the whole idea that the universe is locked in a cosmic battle between good and evil, the light side and the dark side of the force. It's quite, quite a story, and we get caught up in it. It's really an ancient philosophy called dualism. Say dualism. Dual is in two. And this idea that forever the universe is locked in conflict with the light and the dark trying to get in balance. And when there's no balance, they fight against each other. And the idea is that this will go on forever and ever and ever. What a sad story. And that in every generation, the battle must be fought and won again. And it goes over and over and over. And like a circle, there's not really an end to it. You just hope for a season where everything is balanced and good until something happens and there's no balance and the fighting has to happen all over again. 
Well, you know, the Bible gives us a story, but it's a much better story than that because in the story of the Bible, there really is a final victory of the light over the darkness. There really is a day whenever all the war stops and good finally wins over evil and light finally conquers the darkness forever. C.S. Lewis believed that we are caught up in a story, an epic battle much like the one that we love to watch on the big screen. But it's not between independent, equally matched forces. No, no. They're not equally matched at all. The dark is no match at all for the light, no matter how dark it may seem. No, what our universe is in is a great civil war. Say a civil war. There's a civil war happening. This one spirit that God made to be good turned at some point in our ancient history and fell and became evil and wicked and and jealous of God and tried to take the throne but was cast down. And now that great rebellion has begun. The universe steeped in war against God. And we're living in the part of the universe occupied by that rebel. And you and I know it because we experience the fallout. He's the Lord of sin and darkness and death and disease and war and violence and hatred. And we've all lived in a world that has been touched by that dark Lord, haven't we? The Bible calls him the God of this world and he has great power. But the story is more than that. C.S. Lewis said it this way, enemy occupied territory. That's what this world is. And the story of the Bible is the story of how the rightful king has landed You might say landed in disguise and is calling all of us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. You and I today have been invited to rebel against the rebel, amen, and to join God's great army that is marching to victory. In Revelation 12, John, the beloved disciple, actually gives us a story like that. And of all things, though you may not have noticed it before, it is a Christmas story. Now, many of us have read John's Gospel and noticed there's no Christmas story in John's Gospel. That's right. That's because he didn't put it in the Gospel. He put it in the book of Revelation. And I want you to turn to Revelation 12 this morning. And I want to preach for you the oddest Christmas sermon you've ever heard in your life, hands down. Because I'm preaching from the book of Revelation on Christmas Eve. No, I've not lost my mind. And yes, I've had enough coffee. (laughs) Revelation 12. This Christmas story has no shepherds, wise men, or manger. There are angels, but they're not singing, they're fighting. And there are no sheep, but there is a dragon. So all the kids, pay attention. If you like dragon stories, boy, have I got one for you. Revelation chapter 12, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 1 to 6, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. After, her child was caught up to God and His throne. 
Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. And His people said, Amen. John divides his Christmas story into three scenes and he tells us all about the life and the purpose of Jesus. Scene one is His coming at Christmas. Say that with me. His coming at Christmas. The Bible says there are two great signs that appeared in the heavens. The first sign he, he gives us here is the woman. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. Say now. All three of these scenes begin with the word now. John loves the word now. It's in the Gospel of John and it's all through the book of Revelation. Now a great sign appeared. The first sign is the woman. Who is this woman clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, crowned with 12 stars? Well, if you know your Old Testament, you'll recognize those symbols. Because in the Old Testament, there's a kid named Joseph who has a dream. And in his dream, his father, the sun, and his mother, the moon, bow down to him. And the 12 stars bow down to him. Who is this? It's Israel it's the people of God. It's God's chosen wife in the Old Covenant by which He will bring the Messiah into the world. And all of history has come together at Christmas down to one fine point. And not only all of Israel, but now all of Israel, her purpose, her prophecies, her reason for existing has been narrowed down and all the universe is focused in on one Israelite. It's a little woman. It's a teenage girl and her name is Mary. And she stands there, not as a little helpless girl, but as the representative of all God's people, clothed with the sun, standing on the moon with 12 stars in her hand, in her hair. She is about to fulfill God's promise throughout all the Old Testament to bring a son into the world who will rule the nations. Her name is Mary, and his name is Jesus. And Revelation 12 is John's. Christmas story. Don't you miss it. Well, what is it? This Here he is. Then being with, in labor, she cries out to give birth to a child. The second sign, though, is in verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Verse 15 tells us this dragon is that same serpent we met in Genesis 3 at the beginning of the book who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden and led the world into its great fall and rebellion against God. The Bible calls the devil the God of this world. He uses human rulers who are under his spell to accomplish great evil in the world. The dragon has seven crowns. He's in charge of the entire Roman Empire of John's day, the city that sits on seven hills. He has ten crowns on his head, just like Rome had ten provinces into which it was divided. This great dragon will use all the power of the Roman government to bring against the child and to bring against the woman in his day. And that is indeed what he does. Because Satan used the Roman appointed ruler of Judea named Herod the Great to oppose God's plan. The Bible says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Ever since God had prophesied that one day 
a woman would give birth to a son who would crush the serpent's head. Satan had been trying to prevent that baby's birth. And so he provokes Cain to kill his brother Abel, thinking maybe Abel is the one. Later he stirs up Pharaoh to destroy the male children born to the Israelites. What is he doing? He's trying to stop this baby from being born. Then when that doesn't work, Saul finds out that spirit that lived in Saul, that wicked evil spirit that possessed him, knew that this baby would come through David's line. And so if he can kill David before David has children, maybe he can stop the baby. But Saul doesn't succeed in killing David. And David does take the throne. And he does give birth to children. And down we come in the family line. One more time that serpent tries in the Old Testament. He stirs up a man named Haman in the book of Esther and tries to use the government to kill every Jewish person in the Persian Empire. But God raises up a woman named Esther and she intercedes and God brings deliverance from an unlikely source and the Jews are spared to live another day. They leave Persia. They come back to their homeland and there groaning in labor pains in Bethlehem is a little woman named Mary and she does succeed and she does give birth and the baby is born and Herod can't stand it and the devil is mad and so he stirs them up and they go and they massacre all the infant babies two years of age and under what's he doing he's trying to stop the baby don't miss it he's trying to stop the baby the dragon trying to devour the child as soon as it is born but it does not work aren't you thankful for his coming at Christmas say he came hallelujah give the Lord praise It didn't work. She bore a child who's destined to rule the nations. We've got his coming at Christmas. Second, we've got his crowning at Calvary. Don't let the Hallmark cards deceive you. Christmas was a military event. The God of heaven invaded the earth on a rescue mission to defeat the dragon and reclaim the family he lost in the garden. His sons and daughters that are destined to bear his name and his image and rule and reign with his son forever. Notice number two is crowning at Calvary. The baby lived. He became a man. He began his earthly ministry. He steps on the scene and he preaches the kingdom of God is here. Wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And Jesus announces the kingdom. And when he does, war explodes on the scene. It's a violent inbreaking of light versus darkness, good versus evil, Jesus versus the enemy. And that's exactly what the Bible says in Revelation 12. Verse 7 picks up the story. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. He who deceives the whole world was cast to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Notice his kingdom proclamation. When Jesus comes on the scene, he announces the kingdom is here. Throughout his earthly ministry, he faced down Satan and the angels fought against that dragon. Jesus broke the curse of sickness as he opened blinded eyes and healed the lame. Why? It was an announcement. Satan has lost all his authority. The rightful king has landed and he's taking the kingdom back from the devil one heart and one life at a time. And every miracle Jesus did announced to Satan, your doom is sure. Your days are numbered and the king has come to take his crown back. Wow. He was crowned. But where was he crowned? 
He had an unusual crowning because he didn't go to a throne. He went to a cross. And on that cross, when the enemy thought he had him, he actually lost everything on that day. Why? Because verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And he did not love his life unto death. Jesus demonstrated his dominion over nature, over the storm. He robbed death. He drove out demons from the oppressed. He cast them out with a word. And he was crowned at Calvary. For three and a half years, Jesus predicted that he would one day go to the cross. He would die and rise again. And Jesus predicted that his death on the cross, though it looked like a defeat on the outside, would be a victory on the inside. That's what he said. He predicts his death. And he says that that will be his crowning day. And on the day that he is crucified, his sacrifice will strip Satan of all his authority. Really? Did Jesus say that? Yes, he did. Where? John 12, verse 31 and 32. He said, now. Say now. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He was lifted up on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says in Colossians that by his cross, he disarmed principalities and powers. He broke the back of the devil's authority by dying on the cross. He lost his authority. This chapter reveals two major ways that Satan attacks God's people. He's an accuser and he's a deceiver. Say that with me. He's an accuser and he's a deceiver. But hear me today. We overcome the accuser by the blood of the Lamb. The enemy accuses me of my sin and my past. But my answer is the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And when that doesn't work, he tries to deceive me. But he can't deceive me. Why? Because I have this book. I have the word of the testimony. I have the record of what Jesus did by dying and rising. I have the truth of God in this book. And I won't be deceived because I'll overcome by the word of my testimony. And my testimony is this testimony that Jesus died and rose for me. I came to preach about Christmas. I don't know what you came for. Christmas. He came. Calvary. He was crowned on the cross. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Satan will not deceive us because we keep a firm grip on the truth of God's story. We're not who the devil says we are. We're not forsaken. We're not condemned. We're not hopeless and we're not abandoned. We're chosen. We're named. We're adopted. We're accepted. We're free. We're rescued. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is who we are and we know it because we have the testimony in our laps this morning. Hallelujah. So we came at Christmas and he was crowned at Calvary and we can choose to not live, not love our lives unto death. Jesus has cleansed us. We have no fear of death. Satan's accusations on the day of judgment cannot stand against us. And for the Christian, death is not a defeat, it is a victory. It is winning the final battle, crossing the final finish line. My sweetest moment of this week was standing at the bedside of Betty Spence and holding her hand. And singing the verse of an old hymn, and the closest she came to responding to me was I touched her hand and I sang, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. 
My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And when I hit the chorus, it is well with my soul. Her lips moved and her mouth tried to make the it is well with my soul. And I thought she's still in there and she still knows. And last night, about 6 o'clock, she became an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of her testimony. Amen. Amen. Why would John give us such a crazy story? To baptize your imagination. To help you understand you are caught up in a very big story. And you have a part to play in that story. He came at Christmas. He's crowned at Calvary. And he will conquer at the second coming. His conquest at the second coming is the next thing on the list. We come to the final now, the third scene, verse 13. Now the dragon saw that he'd been cast down to the earth. So he persecuted the woman. Who gave birth to the male child? Jesus died, rose, ascended to heaven, and sits on the throne of the universe. Satan knows his doom is sure, his authority taken, and now he turns his attention back from heaven to the earth. But it will be no use. You see, Jesus has defeated him. He is full of fury because he knows his time is short. The final scene of John's story urges us, to remember, to recognize our battle. Say that with me. Recognize our battle. Even though Satan's been defeated, he continues to do all the damage he can in the little window of time that he's got left. That's what he does. But like a snake whose head has been severed from his body, he continues to thrash around and make as much noise as he can. But the reality is, he is in his death throes. He has been defeated at Calvary. His head has been crushed. And one day, the Bible tells us, it will all wrap up and we will be on the victory side. He comes against the church in the meantime. He attacks you and me. He attacks God's people throughout the earth. But persecution could not destroy God's people. Verse 13 said he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. It says, but two wings were given her of a great eagle and she was carried away to a place prepared for her. A flood of heresy and false teaching the devil unloosed against the church. But it couldn't distract the church either. Verse 15 says, the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman to cause her to be carried away by the flood. For the first 300 years of the church, the church fought false teaching left and right. As soon as they would put one down, another would rise up. But that flood of heresy did not distract the church. Why? The Bible says, verse 16, The earth helped the woman and opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed. And I want to tell you today, Satan's current attack cannot defeat the church. Verse 17 says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And went off to make war against her and the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. But once again, the dragon will be defeated. In chapter 20, one angel will bind him with a chain and cast him into a bottomless pit. Amen? One angel. You and I are on the victory side because we're on Jesus' side today. Amen? So we recognize our battle, but most importantly, we remember his victory. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We're enforcing what Jesus has already done. Years ago, General MacArthur would often get in trouble with his men because they didn't like the fact that he would make triumphant announcements to the press about Pacific Islands that they'd taken and defeated the enemy. He would say, the island's been taken, the enemy has been defeated, we're just mopping up. 
Well, all the soldiers knew that that mopping up was some of the hardest fighting you'd ever had to do because you're facing an enemy that's entrenched and now has nothing to lose. And so he fights all the more bitterly. Church, you and I face an enemy who is bitter and angry because he's beaten. And the reason he rages against us and hates us is because we bear the name of the one who defeated him at Calvary. The devil hates you. Why does he hate you? He's hated you ever since your head went under the water in that baptistry right there. And we marked you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and said publicly, you belong to God. He's hated you since the night you knelt at an altar and the blood of Calvary washed your sins away. And you stood up and said, praise God, I'm saved and I'm going to follow Jesus. He's hated you since that moment. But I want to tell you, if you'll persevere, there's nothing he can do to stop you ultimately. By trusting in the blood of Jesus, holding on to our confession that he's our Savior, you will overcome. And Jesus promised that everyone who overcomes will receive a victor's crown. He said it eight times in this book. Verse 10, say now. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Perhaps this is the craziest Christmas message you've ever heard. Well, I didn't write it. St. John did. But I bet you'll never read Revelation 12 the same way again, will you? Merry Christmas. Jesus has overcome. He has overcome the world. Give the Lord a great hand of praise. Amen? Yes! Yes! Amen. The Lord reigns. Amen. We're going to move into communion at this time. We promise to get you out in a timely manner, and we're going to keep our promise today. I invite you this morning, if you will, stand with me all over the Lord's house. Amen. Amen. This morning, as we prepare to move into this time of celebration today, Holy Communion, Amen. I greet you today and say, The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. Amen. The Bible says that whenever we come to the Lord's table, every time we gather together, that we declare the great mystery of our faith. We declare what? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That's the truth of our faith. And so this morning as we take the bread and the cup, and we prepare to serve you and one another today. We take this bread and as the Lord Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And after he'd given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for us. After supper was ended, the Bible says he took the cup. And after he'd given thanks and blessed it, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink the cup, Jesus said, you do show forth my death until you come again. Paul says, is the bread we eat and the cup we drink not a communion, a participation in the blood of Jesus? And so we come today to receive this holy sacrament to our comfort and the blood of Jesus. But we don't come without first asking God to cleanse and purify our hearts. Amen. So this morning, I ask you to bow your heart with me and let's pray together. And then we'll join together in the prayer on the screen. Father, I ask you today to meet us who've gathered out of love for you. We come acknowledging, Lord, that, Lord, we have uh, sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and what we've not done that we should have done. And, Lord, today, we've not always loved our neighbor as ourselves. We've not always loved you with all of our heart as we ought. And we ask you today to forgive us. Look mercifully on us. 
look not on the sins of your church, but on her faith in the blood of Jesus today. And Lord, forgive us, grant us repentance of sin, amendment of life, and a heart that is turned towards you and more like you. And we'll bless you and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Would you pray the prayer with me this morning? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Hear the word of the Lord. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful today? Amen. Amen. I want to ask those that are going to help me serve to come and to join me this morning here at the altar. And we're going to serve each other and then we'll invite you to come. We will have four stations this morning. One over here, two right here for these sections, and then one right over here, okay? And so we're going to serve each other and then we're going to ask you to, uh, to come down each aisle closest to you and to receive. And then just go back to your pew and we'll close together with a hymn and we'll be dismissed from our time together today. Amen. Would you pray with me once more? Father, we love you and bless you. We thank you, Lord, today for this holy time that we have together to celebrate that you came at Christmas, that you died and rose again for our salvation, and that you're coming again one day, and we can't wait for that day. Lord, bless these elements, these simple gifts, and let them be for us the body and the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.